We are looking at spiritual blindness tonight. We're going to be mainly, if you want to turn there, with all the other verses. John 9 is our main text tonight. Um, just to give you an idea of what people who are lost spiritually and what condition they're in, I'm hoping that it'll impact your evangelism, how you see them. I hope it'll impact your evangelistic praying and how you, when you get on your knees and pray for lost people that they get saved, that you might say even more to God about just not just saving them as great as that is, but you might uh, ask him to do special things, particularly to bring them to that place of salvation. It's also good for us always to examine our own hearts too. Now, these messages are always for us. Let me ask you, what would you rather have happen to you? Would you rather be blind or would you rather be deaf? How many would say, I'd rather be deaf? How many would say, I'd rather be blind? Why? Most of you said deaf. Um, and that is the most common answer. But why? Why would you rather be deaf? Deaf, someone right where you are is fine. Why would you choose that? What would be preferable? Although either one of them are not preferable. Mike? Oh, yeah, you can't hear the music, right? That's your, one of your main things in life, right? Couldn't hear music. What else? Chris? Okay, so there's people who are blind who are, or people who wish they could have their hearing back because they can't hear anybody. There's no communication. It makes them feel isolated, lonely. Okay? Someone else? Why would you choose to be deaf? Yes, Bob. Well, being uh, deaf, you could read lips, you can do the sign language bit and still have very prosperous time. Okay. So you could do... Sign language and all the other capabilities out there for you. Although you'd hope you'd find some other people who could too, right? Is anybody, obviously we have a couple, but anybody know sign language? Right? Couple, right? <laughs> um, blindness. It is a theme throughout the Bible. and in, in particular... The little phrase, if you're taking notes tonight, opening someone's eyes. Um, it's from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, do you remember the first one in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve? It says that Satan said to them, if you eat of the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be what? Your eyes will be open and you'll be able to see like God sees and you'll be able to know good from evil. In other words, not that they would know the difference. They already knew the difference. In other words, they would be able to have the authority independently from God to decide for themselves what would be right and wrong. And disobeying God would bring them that. And then just a couple of verses later in chapter 3, verse 7, it says that she saw the tree and, it made, and it, when she ate it, their eyes were opened. Um, and so from the very beginning, opening someone's eyes is done at the first time by their disobedience, their own disobedient choice and Satan's influence. Um, that is the pattern 
throughout the Bible that that's what has to be overcome. Um, if you have, your, you don't have to turn to these ones, but do you remember the story, a unique story, a really kind of cool story? Second Kings chapter 6, you have Elisha, the prophet of God, who the Syrians are invading him. And the king of the Syrians asked his army to go find Elisha and arrest him. Do you remember that? So one time, the uh, Elisha's servant wakes up in the morning. He opens the shutters of the window of their house. And he looks out and he says, oh my, the uh, Syrian army is completely surrounding us. What are we going to do? And Elisha comes over and says this, oh, we don't have anything to worry about. Those who are with the Lord are more in number than those who are with the Syrians. And the guy goes, yeah, what? And he says, Lord, open his eyes that he could see. And he saw all the hosts of the army and the angels of God and the chariots of fire. And then they, uh, you know, there's the story, perhaps. So they go out there and Elisha is able to say to them, Lord, cause blindness to come upon them. So the whole Syrian army goes blind. And so he takes them. I'm not sure if they knew exactly who he was, but they marches them into Samaria, which was the capital of the country they were trying to destroy in Israel. And he says, Lord, take away their blindness. And they open their eyes and they're right at the enemy headquarters. <laughs> and uh, the king uh, Ahab, I think at the time, wants to have them killed. And they don't allow that to happen. And he sends them home with a great feast. It's an unusual story, but it's crazy because... He opens the eyes of his servant, and then he closes and opens the eyes of the Syrians. So someone who knows God and someone who doesn't know God, another story of reversal. One of the marks um, of the Messiah when he comes in numerous places, one including Isaiah 42, 7, is that he will open the eyes of the blind, cause the lame to walk, and so forth and so on. So it's a messianic sign um, that Messiah will be able to help people who are physically blind. Luke 24, there's a couple walking along the road there, and it's a husband, and the other one's not mentioned, but I'm thinking it was Cleopas' wife. They're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, which is a little bit over 2.5 miles about, uh, and they're walking, they're talking because they're very sad because Jesus was crucified three days earlier, and they thought he would be the Messiah. They had put their hope in him, and their hopes had been dashed according to what they were thinking. They're walking down the road, and in verse uh, 16, it says, Jesus comes alongside them on the road and starts asking questions, and they couldn't see that it was him. It says this, because their eyes were restrained. So they weren't allowed to see. They were literally blinded. Not that they couldn't see Jesus in front of them, but they couldn't recognize who he was. They go down the road quite a bit. They're talking to him. He tells them about Messiah and how foolish they were not to believe the scriptures. And at the end of it, when he vanishes, it says, and uh, and then their eyes were opened and they realized who it was. Now, two other times in verse 32 and 45, the after story, so to speak, is that he opens their understanding and he opens the scriptures to them. So a lot of opening. He opens their eyes to see Jesus. He opens their minds so they can understand the Bible. He opens the scriptures to them so they're able to believe and know what he has done for them. And all throughout the Bible... And we could go on to Acts 26, 18, where the third version of Paul's conversion, and it ends with this, that Jesus says, I've appeared for you to this reason, so that you can have the ministry to Jew and Gentiles both. And here's what it says, to open their eyes that are blind so they can see, 
and it reverses from light, from darkness to light. And here's what Paul's ministry was. It was telling blind people how they could see. And you could go into the book of Revelation where it says the church at Laodicea thought that they could see, but they really were blind and they needed Jesus to anoint their eyes with eye salve so that they could actually see. I mean, from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, it is a story about sight reversal. It's a story about people's eyes that are closed so that they might be open. That's what every lost person that you come in contact with this week, this month, in your life, they are blind. They cannot see spiritual realities. May I just, a little application at the very beginning. We should have different expectations of lost people. Um, They cannot see. They don't understand what you're saying. Their mind is not open. Their heart is not open. They don't have ability to see or hear spiritual realities. And so we shouldn't be shocked, number one, when they don't get it, when they don't understand the gospel, when they're not attracted to Jesus, when they're not really looking for truth. Those things should never upset us. They should make us impatient because this is who they are. This is what lost people are like. For Christians... When our eyes are open and Jesus allows us to see, see, our sight grows and grows and grows. One of the prayers I said in my own prayer tonight that the psalmist says is, open my eyes. See, our eyes are open when we get saved, but like lost people whose lives are are blinded by their own sin and Satan uses it to keep them blind. See, our eyes are opened by Jesus and he uses the Spirit of God in the Bible to give us more and more understanding, more and more vision, more clearer sight. If you've ever read the series by C.S. Lewis, um, and one of the books is The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, and the witch, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, all those kids' books. And in one of them, Lucy, who's one of the main characters, in the first book she meets Aslan, who was the picture of Christ, and he's this big lion. And when she meets him the first time, she sees him, and she's kind of not really that big or impressed with him. But the next book, she's a number of years older. She's come to believe in who he is. And this time she meets him and she looks at him and says this, Oh my, you are so much bigger than you were last time I saw you. Now the reality is what? He wasn't any bigger. But to her he was. Because she had changed and she had so much more clearly understood who he was that in the process of her life, she was seeing him as bigger and bigger and greater and greater. See, that's what ought to happen in the Christian life. See, the more that our hearts and minds are open to the scripture, see, we ought to say metaphorically, hey, Jesus is bigger to me than he was last year. He's bigger to me than he was when I first got saved. And you know, the older I get, the more I know the scriptures, the more he opens my eyes to the the things of God, the bigger and more powerful and all wise and loving he really truly becomes. So lost people, every single one of them are spiritually blind. So I'm going to ask just two questions tonight. What are the causes? What are the causes of spiritual blindness? Well, the first one is, and there's two, two causes. One is sin and the other is Satan. Let me show you both of them tonight because it's crucial if you're going to understand what's happening in people's lives that you're witnessing to and praying for. Adam and Eve were the first people and only people to be able to, as Jesus would say in Matthew 13, 13, they could see, but they couldn't see. At the beginning, they had clear spiritual vision. It was uninterrupted and unhindered by sin. 
But as soon as they ate from the tree that was forbidden by God, they could see physically, but they could not see spiritually any longer. And that was noted by the fact that they hid themselves. Um, Blindness in the Bible, not being able to see spiritually, is a metaphor. There are lots of them, that metaphors for sin. Another one we saw last week was deafness. Another one is leprosy, sicknesses, disease. There's all kinds. If you go through the Bible, they're metaphors. And when you look at leprosy, when you look at certain sicknesses, you look at being deaf, you look at blind, here's what the Bible wants you to know and to think. This is what sin looks like. Here's what it looks like in someone's life. It's like they cannot see at all, at all. Um, Numerous times in the Bible, when people are blind, not always, but when they're blind, sometimes it means that their blindness is making them head for judgment. Sodom and Gomorrah, remember when the angels came and Lot invited them into his house and they were outside his door beating on it? Remember the Bible says that God, the angels that were there, struck them down with blindness. Why? Because every time, there's only four times in Scripture in the Old Testament that God strikes certain people groups down with blindness. And every single time, it's because they're being wicked and they are lining themselves up for judgment. So here's what we would come to the reality of. When I pray for people who are lost and I'm witnessing to them and I know that they are blind, here's where the blindness is leading them. It's leading them to God's judgment. Every single person who remains spiritually blind their entire life and they die in that condition will be eternally judged by God for it. Um, It's a time of judgment. Sodom and Gomorrah, the the soldiers who came, I told you that story already. Um, But in the Bible, it's a big deal when you're blind because it has a spiritual meaning for it. So sin, sin is the result or sin is the cause of spiritual blindness. But what about sin in particular? Don't turn there, but in John's gospel, chapter three, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and you know the famous lines, you must be born again, um, so forth and so on. And later on in the passage, when he tells him he has to be recreated and born again, Jesus goes with the metaphor that's throughout John's gospel from beginning to end is light and darkness. We would say it this way, blind and not be able to see or be able to see. Jesus says, here's why people are blind. Here's why people need to be born again. You ready? Because the the light of the world has come and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. See, here's what you know about someone who is spiritually blind is they have a conscious preference for darkness. It's not, listen, it's not just something they do, dark things. They demonstrate their blindness because it's what they want. They prefer it. They want it. So let me tell you this, it's not trying to get blind people who do bad things 
to change their behavior. Salvation on any level, no matter what metaphor you use, is never a goal of behavioral modification. We're not just trying to have bad people become better and blind people to act more like people who are in the light. That's not what we're doing. See, the change and the transformation that has to take place, and while our study is so important, is it has to change not on the deeds level, but on the desire level which pushes us as Christians and pastors and people who pray to realize we can't do that. We can't change people. Now, everyone in this room who's a parent knows exactly what I'm talking about. Am I not right? You can, you can spank your kids when you're growing up and you can say time out and I'm going to take this away and you're in real trouble. Give me the keys. Whatever it is and whatever age it is, You can try to make them do what you want. But to make them want to do what you want is you can't do it. It's the most frustrating thing ever. And when they're really teeny and little, two, three, four years old, you know, I can say, oh, Johnny, you would be such a good little boy. Okay, I'll do it. Right? But they're only doing it because I'm coaxing them into it. Or they're going to do it because daddy says you better do it. See Mr. Rod over there? Rod of correction? Mm-hmm. He's going to visit you. And they're going to want it. Well, I fear now, right? But I'm not controlling it. They don't do it because they want to. They're afraid of consequences. They're afraid of this. Every parent realizes the horribleness of the fact that you cannot give your children desires for what is right. You can't change them that way, can you? You can't change blind people to desire the light. You can't. But that's exactly what blindness means. Do you get it when you're thinking and witnessing to them and praying? Do you get it? They need to be changed on the deepest level possible. And you can't do it. You can't do it. You can't coax them into it, explain it into them, argue it into it. You can't reason with them into it. You can't do any of those things. None of that will change them to the core issues of what's going on in their heart and lives. Sin is a cause of spiritual blindness. Number two, Satan is a cause of spiritual blindness. In Matthew 12, 22, Jesus casts out a demon and the demon had caused this person to be both deaf and blind because the demon possession made them deaf and blind, just like it did all kinds of crazy stuff to the man, man of Gadara. And that passage in Matthew 12, 22, it had made them blind. In fact, it's even more than that. Satan, the Bible says, the devil in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 says, he has blinded their minds. He has blinded their minds lest they should look at the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and believe. He's blinded them. Now, here's what you have to understand. Satan cannot be the ultimate cause or source of your blindness because he can't create that out of nothing. But what he can do is because you've already been born in sin and because you choose this sin, he can take what's already in your life and use it against you. And that's exactly what he does. Your sin has blinded you and he takes the sin that you've committed and you choose to do and he uses it to keep you blind so that you don't want God. You don't want a desire to God. You won't come to God. You can't do it. In fact, the most common verb in all of these phrases that we look at is not able. You don't, lost people don't have the ability to see. They don't have the ability to come to God. Nothing whatsoever. So who are the causes 
of spiritual blindness? Well, there's sin and there's Satan. So how, does it, how do we overcome it? Well, the cure for spiritual blindness, and the Bible uses this pattern, as I mentioned already before at the beginning, is a supernatural reversal. We could be honest and clear enough to say, simplistically enough to say, that only Jesus can make the sight reversal. I read an article off the internet this uh, week, and it was kind of clever, and its title, Is a Cure for Blindness Within Sight? Um, and they try to say, maybe, maybe. Um, the article said this, always, they've always considered being able to see, if you've been blind, a top-tier miracle. I would say, no kidding. Um, although it seems to be far-fetched, it is conceivable that molecular biologists could engineer a part, particular cell type to be sensitive to light. I don't know anything all about it, but the more I read, I realized that photoreceptors die. And these are the two main causes of blindness is your photoreceptors end up dying for one reason or another, and that eliminates the ability to be sensitive to light, and it blocks it out, and you can no longer see. They have new, what's called optogenetic goggles. And it's starting very, very basic, but some people who haven't seen their whole life um, are putting on these goggles, and they've been able to pick out that there are certain numbers of objects on a table. And they've come that far, and they said, listen, we've been able to come to see blobs on a table where we've never been able to see anything, and they would call that a major breakthrough. Spiritually speaking, I am so glad that spiritually all I, I have way more than a few blobs on a table. Jesus is able to not only heal people physically, but he is able to, in a moment, reverse their spiritual blindness so that they can see clearly as if they always have been able to see. We don't need goggles spiritually. We need God. Um, Jonathan Edwards said this about people who are blind spiritually who are able to see. He says, divine and supernatural light imparted immediately to the soul is what God does when he makes blind people see. If you get a chance, now we've seen biographies tonight, heard about them. If you ever get a chance to read the biography of John Newton or read his letters that he wrote to various people as a pastor of a church where he used to be a slave trader, God saved him miraculously. I mean, blind as you could possibly be spiritually. And the radical reversal of his sight was incredible. But John Newton and wrote some amazing songs um, amazing grace. And the line in it that we as Christians love to repeat because it's true of every one of us, no matter what the experience is. I once was lost, but now I found what? Was blind, but now I see. Blind, but now I see. John 9, if you'll turn there, if you're not there already. John 9 is the best example in the Gospels of how Jesus turns around someone spiritually blind, not only physically, but spiritually. In the text of John's Gospel, you'll know that John is all about light to darkness. It's how it begins in the first few verses. Jesus says to Nicodemus, men love light more than dark, men love darkness more than light. Twice in chapter 8 and verse 12 and 9 and 5, which brackets our text, Jesus twice calls himself, I am the light of the world. Um, when Judas went out to betray Jesus, it says it was night. 
because the darkness was coming at the cross. All the darkness came and you couldn't see hardly anything. It got so dark. But at the resurrection morning, it says when dawn was just about to be reached. And so the whole book of John is all about darkness and light, being not being able to see or being able to see. And this story in the very middle of this gospel is the primary or central element in that whole thematic light, darkness, and blind sea uh, motif. The whole thing at the beginning of John says, here's what all the stories are about. He says, and light shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. So all, there's a lot of stories in John are about Jesus as the light and how he overcomes darkness. And the main one is John chapter 9. Um, in this text, uh, in John 9, here's what it says at verse 1. And he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Please write it down, put it in your Bible. This is the only time... A man born blind is ever mentioned in Scripture, the only one. Two times in Acts, there were men who were lame or crippled from birth, but never is there ever, only other, the only time is this one, that a man was born blind. Today, medically, we'd say he had congenital blindness. He was born that way. He's never seen anything in his whole life. Now, why is that important? Listen real quickly. In chapter 8, Jesus is having a talk with the religious leaders, and he's arguing, and what they're arguing about is, who is your father? Where do you come from? Where's your origin? And Jesus tells them, listen, your origin, your father is the devil. And they say, no, our, our, our origin, our birth father is Abraham. And they get so mad at Jesus because he says these strong things to them that in chapter 8 and verse 41, he says, hey, by the way, the Pharisees say, we weren't born of fornication like you were. In other words, we know what happened with Mary, your mom. So their, their, their origin-based story of him is that he was born of sexual immorality. So there's this big fight about Hey, where did you come from? What about your birth? Where did your, what's your origins? So you, you bring out of that chapter 8, you walk right into chapter 9, and what's the first thing that happens? Well, Jesus comes by a man born blind. Born blind. Now we're going to talk about origins, not Jesus's, but we're going to talk about the Pharisees. And then we're going to talk about this, this guy blind. See, he was born this way. Four times in the text, read it for yourself, four times it talks about he was born blind. Born, born, born. Every time it's the same word. He was born this way. See, you and I are born spiritually blind. We have not seen one spiritual truth or reality since the day we we're conceived. Until the moment that we become believers, we've never seen one spiritual truth. We don't understand one single thing about God. Now, to be born blind in Jesus' day had lots of ramifications. Socially, socially, he is ostracized because in Leviticus and other places, you couldn't be a priest if you were blind. You couldn't offer blind sacrifices. Your lamb couldn't have one eye. And you couldn't go into the temple because if you were blind, a lot of people thought, as it was in this text, that if you were born blind, something was wrong and God was judging you. And they have a lot of ammunition in the Old Testament to think that way. So here's this guy born blind from the very moment of his birth as he grows up. Everybody shuns him. He is ostracized. He is a religious outsider because he was born that way. Economically, verse 8, it says he's a beggar. So if you're blind, eventually as you grow up, 
You can't get most jobs. No one takes care of you. His parents are mentioned in this thing, but they're not even taking care of their own son because he's begging to get through life. Even his family has turned their back on him. Socially, economically, spiritually, he's an outsider. He's not allowed into synagogue or temple and lots of other things because he is unclean because he's got something wrong with him. This is the whole life that he has. He was born blind. There's not one single thing that he can do to change it. And the Bible says at the end, when he starts getting lippy with the Pharisees, he says, who are you to talk to us like that? We're Moses' disciples. And by the way, you were born in sin your whole life. That was their view of him. So he was born blind. And Jesus healed a lot of blind people, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, numerous other ones along the side that are unnamed inside the road. But this one, he heals differently. The Bible says in the first few verses, after verse 5, where Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, it says Jesus got on the ground, he took some dirt in his hand, and then he spit in it, and he made a mud, and he puts it with his own hands on the guy's eyes, and then he tells him, Go down to the pool of Siloam. You have to realize Jesus is in the temple. He's going to walk most of the way through downtown, so to speak, and out to the outer ring of the wall to go to this pool. It's a long walk. And he wants him to go wash the mud off and come back. And the question is, of every commentator, why in the world did he do it this way? He has healed people by his word. He healed the one guy where he said, remember it was process. He sees like you're fuzzy like trees. Grow. He, remember all that? So there's different ways that Jesus has healed people who are blind. This time, he doesn't do it. This is the only way he's ever done it this way. So why does he kneel on the ground? Why does he make mud? Why does he put it on him? Well, look, at, look what's, the, what's the whole book of John about? First five verses of chapter one. God's the creator. He shines light. So Jesus is the creator. And what does the creator do when he's making someone new? Genesis 2-7, what did he do with Adam? He got down on the ground and from the dirt and the soil, he made man. See, here's what Jesus is saying. You get this? The only way that you can ever see is if you're born again. If you have a new birth, if you have new light. Remember what Jesus said in the same gospel in John chapter 3 and verse 3. He said to Nicodemus, he says, You must be born again or you cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot have the ability to understand the spiritual realities of my kingdom and what it's all about unless you're born again. Jesus says, let me tell you this. Here, I'm, I'm making a new person. I'm rubbing, and you go down there, listen, and you wash. That's what you have to do. Now, listen to this. When you're giving someone the gospel and they're blind, and Jesus gets down and he spits, he didn't get water to make the mud, although he could have. He spits in it. Now, anybody knows, if you read Leviticus, that anybody's bodily fluids that get on you makes you unclean. And I won't go through all the bodily fluids. It's too graphic. But if you get someone's bodily fluids on you, it makes you unclean, and you are ostracized for a certain amount of time. Jesus spits his own spit and takes it and rubs it in the guy's eye. Why? Spurgeon said when he preached this text that if Jesus would have had oil out of a vial, taken it out of his pocket, poured the oil out and put it on, he said he could have sold a million dollars worth of it. 
He says, but when he takes his spit instead and does it, it's offensive. Why in the world would you do something for me and make me unclean? Why would you spit on me? But see, isn't that the gospel? See, you're going to have to come to Jesus and it's humbling. In fact, Jesus says it's a scandal. It can be offensive. And see, when you're telling blind people the gospel, you have to understand that what you're telling them to do, what you're telling them is that you can't see anything, that you've been blind your whole life. You are clueless about the gospel. It's offensive to them that you're a sinner and you need a savior. Are you kidding me? Who do you think I am, Hitler? They're blind to it. Look at the text, the watch. One more thing. This guy is a religious outsider. He is physically blind. He can't see. But then the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the whole time they're asking this guy over and over again, who is you? What did Jesus do to you? How did he? And they ask it so many times. He says, why do you keep asking me? Do you want to become his disciples too? I mean, the guy was a smart aleck. He had some oomph, right? Listen to this. And it says, what are you talking to us? You're a sinner. And then in 934, it says this, and they cast him out. You know what that means? He was ostracized. He couldn't go to synagogues and he couldn't go to temple anymore. You know what that, listen to this, listen. Remember what I told you before? Being blind, socially, economically, spiritually, meant that you were an outcast. But see, he was born that way and lived his whole life, but he didn't choose it. He was born that way. But he's met Jesus now, and he can see. And the first thing he does is to choose Jesus and to follow him to what extent? Where he gets cast out. So now he's socially, economically, and spiritually an outsider again, this time by choice. That's when you know you can see. See, when people say this, hey, this is how I was, but this is how I, and I choose this. I'm going to go back to what the condition I was. You would think the guy, I can see now. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> I've gone through that my whole life. I can see. Someone else can argue that. I'm not saying anything like his parents. Not this guy. He goes, the whole life, I'm going to take it all back and then some. And I choose it. Why? Because Jesus made me. I can see who he is and what he's worth for the first time. See, that's what you know that you can see. That's what the gospel is all about when it changes your life. He was, lastly, and I'll close, he was submissive to the word of God. You tell people the gospel, you give them the gospel, this is what you must do. Jesus tells the guy, hey, by the way, you've got mud all over your face. You can't see where you're going, but I want you to walk halfway across town, and I want you to wash in this certain pool of Siloam, which means scent, and I want you to come back. Now, you, the guy's probably thinking, like, are you kidding me? I mean, I can't see what people are looking, but they're probably looking at me. I've got mud all over my face, and I'm going to walk down. And by the way, with mud on my face, hey, can you direct me? Am I at the right street? I mean, do I, what? yeah, go down. Okay, ask someone on the next block when the next turn I have to take. He has to do this all the way across town, all the way across town. And then he has to get in there with everybody around the pool. If you ever know anything about the pool of Sonoma, and they've dug it up archaeologically. Huge pool, probably as big as this room. And there's all, hundreds of people there every day, hundreds. And he's going to go in there and wash it all off. But when he comes out of it, he can see. See, he could have chose to say, I'm not doing that. 
just like Naaman. Remember the, remember the arrogance that I'm not going down to the Jordan and I'm not dipping seven times. But when God got a hold of his heart, it changed his mind. See, this guy could see now. You know why? Because Jesus told him stuff that he didn't realize. Are you serious? But he never questioned it. He just did it. You know why? Because the word of God had got a hold of him. Jesus' words changed him. And for the first time in his life, he could see. See, that's how I knew my boys weren't Christians. You know how I knew they were still blind? Because they didn't want to do what Jesus' words said. They always had a reason why it was too much. Or that's crazy. Or who's going to do that kind of stuff? You know what? They didn't want to because they never really submitted to it. It wasn't their joy. It didn't change their lives. This guy's completely different. Jesus, you tell me whatever it is, I do it. Oh, see, that's the difference, isn't it? But that's where people are. You think about all the people you're thinking about by name tonight and who they are. See, they're blind. They're blind. They can't see. Jesus isn't attractive to them. They don't want to obey his word. They want to pick and choose what they think is right and wrong about the Bible. Oh, see, all those things are there. And they certainly don't want to count the cost that they might be cast out. What would my family say? What would my friends do? What would my girlfriend do? Maybe she'll break up. See, they don't want to, they're not going back. They're not losing stuff for this. Not this guy. When you go from blind to see, seeing Jesus, you're willing to do all those things and change. See, that's real salvation in your life, your kid's life, and the lives of those that you witness to. Pray that way. Pray, God, bring people who are blind to the light, that they would love to be around Jesus. They're attracted to them. They want to obey his word. They want to see how great he is. They want to yield their life to him, open their eyes that they might see. Let's pray. Father, open the eyes of my heart. Hmm. We sang that tonight. We think of so many lost people that we rub shoulders with who are blind, and that blindness is leading them to eternal judgment. There is a darkness that Jesus talked about that'll make blindness look like child's play. There's an eternal blindness coming, an eternal darkness that I don't even want to comprehend what it's going to be really like. Only you, Master, can open the eyes of the blind. Use our lives, use our lips, as we tell the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. In your sovereign good pleasure, may you see fit, Lord, to bring worshipers from the nations to your glory by opening their eyes that are blind. Don't let Satan and the darkness overcome. But Jesus, as you did on creation, may you say the words into their heart, Let there be light, that you might dispel the darkness, flood it with the light that is in the glory of God in the face of your son, Jesus. And we'll thank you for the miraculous changes that you alone can do, for it's in your matchless name we pray, amen.